Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It's a good little parable. There's a few good little parables here in Luke chapter 15. Some of, some of you have maybe read some of them before, but if you have not, I would encourage you to do that. That'd be a, a good homework assignment for you this week. I better not give y'all homework. Y'all don't want to come back next week. Don't worry, you won't be graded. I won't even ask you if you read it. But if you want to read something this week, Luke 15 might be a good chapter in the Scripture for you to read. I would encourage you, though, to read Scripture if you don't. I don't know if anybody reads Scripture. If you don't read Scripture, if you only hear it at church or only hear it on Tuesdays, but I would encourage you to read Scripture on your own time. Uh, when we read Scripture, uh, I, I believe that it, it, it sinks into our, to our spirit, to our heart, and uh, the Holy Spirit can recall that. Even if we may not be able to recite or memorize Scripture word for word, I do believe that the Holy Spirit can recall to our heart and our mind things that we have read. But the Holy Spirit can't call to our minds what we have read if we haven't read it or we haven't heard it. And so, read it. And even if you say, well, I don't understand that or, or I'm not remembering any of that, well, you never know what may be, what may be sinking in. And so, uh, study God's Word. The best way for us to know God's Word is to read God's Word. I think sometimes as Christians uh, that we get a little lazy. Uh, we, we maybe go to church or Sunday school or, or whatever it may be and kind of get in a, a process or a habit of our whole lives just kind of hearing that this is what this passage means or that that is what that passage means. And what happens is, is we quit thinking for ourselves. We just take everyone else's word as to that's what that passage means. But we need to read. I, I, we we, we are, are given a responsibility as Christians to read. Now, I am given the responsibility as a pastor. Our teachers that teach the Word are given the responsibility to teach the Word rightly, that we are to study to show ourselves approved so that we rightly divide God's Word. And so pastors and teachers will answer doubly, the Bible says, for what is taught. Uh, but we also have an obligation as Christians. Part of the responsibility falls on us too. And we can't say, well, God, I didn't know that that was wrong. I didn't know that I believed the wrong thing or thought a wrong thing. God, how was I supposed to know? Well, God's Word is how we are supposed to know. Hopefully everyone has a Bible. If you do not, I will be glad to get you one. So I encourage you to read. I encourage you to really wrestle with the text. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, sometimes we read into the Bible instead of reading from the Bible. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean that we've kind of already got our minds set up of what we want to believe and what we think the Bible says. And that may or may not be correct. So what we need to do when we read the Bible is not, uh, as we're reading, assume that this is what this says and try to make it fit what we want to believe. Instead, what we should do is read the Bible and pray, God, what does this say? It may not be what we want to hear. It may not be what we've been taught our whole life. We may read the text and say, whoa, I've been misled. That's not at all what the Scripture says. I've been reading it out of context. I've been twisting Scripture the wrong way. And we sometimes as Christians are, are, are guilty of, I think, uh, reading into the text instead of reading the text. It's hard for us when we've been taught something our whole life or we've kind of read into the text our whole life to change our, our thinking. I'm not trying to get you to change everything you believe. I'm just simply trying to get you to read the Word and make sure that what you believe is what the Word says. And so read the Word. That's the only way you can do it. 
You say, well, this is difficult, that's hard, I don't understand it, don't go together, we'll keep reading it. That's the good thing about God's Word. Is over time, the more we read it, the more different pieces begin to fit together. The more things begin to make sense to us that maybe didn't make sense to us in the past. And so it is important for us to continually read God's Word. If there's something that we're not quite sure of, uh, you can ask somebody, you can ask me. I'm not saying that as, uh, as one who has all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but I will help you. And if we look at the text together, perhaps uh, we come to an answer together. Uh, perhaps you don't have to ask me, of course. You can ask anybody. Find a friend and, and study over that text and say, boy, this is a tough one. This is a hard thing for us to accept. Uh, and and it, even Jesus' disciples did that uh, when the, the, the question about divorce was raised to Jesus. And Jesus said, look, uh, uh, you don't need to divorce your wife except for unless adultery has been committed. Now, the people of Jesus' day would divorce their wife for any reason. And they said that, look, we can divorce our wife for any reason. But Jesus said the only reason that was acceptable for divorce is if one of the people in the marriage commits adultery. That's the only reason that I've ever found in Scripture. And the disciples, realizing how difficult it is, well, what if you're in a bad marriage where the spouse is mean to you? What if this? What if that? What if this? Well, the Bible doesn't give us any what is for that. That's a, that's a hard truth. That's a hard teaching. So the, the disciples of Jesus, upon hearing Jesus say that, you know what they said? They said, then it's better not to marry because this is a hard thing to live by. This is a hard teaching, they said. And so the disciples realized the difficulty of what Jesus said. And we realize that too as we read our Bibles. Not just about issues of divorce, but about many things in the text. that so we say, boy, that's tough. Does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? Well, when we come to a tough passage, we have to use the rest of Scripture to try to understand what that means. Anyway. Well, I tell you what. If I, in my lifetime, if I'd read the Bible as much as I read it, Lewis and Moore, I'd be a Bible scholar. <laughs> uh, Lewis and Moore? Yeah. Was that a Western Bible? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I can, that, 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 I have read him books over and over. Exactly. I got to go back. <laughs> All right, let's get on track. Here we go. Luke chapter 12, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15. Uh, and we'll open up with a prayer and then we'll read the text. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these words that we are about to read. I pray that if we've read them before or heard them before, that we listen today just as if we had never heard them before. That we don't say, oh, I know this story and, and stop listening, God. Sometimes I'm guilty of that and maybe others are too. And if they are, let us, let us always go into your word with an eagerness to hear what it says, dear Lord. And, and, and listen, God, to what your word says. Let your Holy Spirit speak through your word to us. And I pray, God that in these few minutes today that you would keep us free of distractions. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross to help me to preach and teach your word uh, accurately in a way that's going to be beneficial for each one that's here and in a way that's going to bring glory to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now Jesus spoke in a lot of parables. And what a parable is, is he uses an illustration or he compares the story that he's talking about that has to do with the kingdom of God or salvation or whatever it may be. But he uses a worldly story, a worldly comparison, something to compare what he's talking about to to help his hearers understand it. Now that's good. We need that too sometimes. 
Sometimes it helps to put things in our own language, in a way that we can understand. And Jesus was so wonderful at that. He was perfect at that, actually. He is the very Son of God, and so He could perfectly and simply uh, get the point across. It's beautiful when you read the text and you see uh, how good Jesus did at that. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this was a common theme throughout the ministry of Jesus. Uh, these tax collectors, that is, they were pretty evil people. They would do people wrong and cheat people. And they weren't, they weren't very well looked upon. Now I'm not saying that every tax collector was bad. Perhaps there were some good ones. But generally speaking, when we see tax collectors mentioned... It's got a negative connotation to it. These were people who uh, were probably not very nice. Uh, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes. Now, Pharisees and scribes, sometimes we hear about the Sadducees. While there are some differences in what they believe, ultimately they were people who were very religious, who would have known God's Word very well. When I say have known God's Word, they would have known the Torah. Now that's a word that maybe you've never heard, but the Torah is the name of the first five books of the Bible. And so in their culture, they would have known the Torah, that is the law of Moses, the history of the beginning of how things were created. They would have known that, that, that part of Scripture very well. Uh, they followed the law to a T. They followed every letter of the law. They even added laws to it. They even went beyond what the law said. Uh, and that got them into a lot of trouble. In their minds, they had become very, very holy. They are the religious people. We could probably uh, equate them to uh, those who, in our day and age, are the ones who go to church all the time and never miss a service, those who read their Bible all the time, those who maybe can quote Scripture all the time, those who say the longest prayers, those who make sure that everybody knows that they have given a lot or done a lot, uh, but ultimately don't really have Jesus Christ in their heart. There are many people in the world today are, who are religious. And I'm not saying that everybody that goes to church every time the doors are open or that gives a lot or, or dresses nice or says long prayers are evil people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that you can do all those things and not be a Christian. Those things don't make you a Christian, nor does God require us to do any of those things to be a Christian. The problem with the Pharisees and the scribes that we see in this text is they would have been that group who would have known God's Word very well, who would have been in the sanctuary, who would have uh, been doing all of these things, but yet they didn't actually really follow God. They were trying to be justified by what they did. What they didn't realize is it really doesn't matter on the outside. All these things that we do, these traditions and, and rituals that we go through, these are insignificant. What Jesus tells us repeatedly in the New Testament is that it is what comes from the heart that is what matters. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Now they were always complaining about Jesus because Jesus was not like them in any way, shape, or form. In this instance, he was they were complaining about Him because He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this would have been a big no-no similar to what we may see to those very religious people in our world today. 
And we want to be in our fancy churches and we want to have things just our way and we want everybody to look the same and to act the same and to be this way and we don't want anybody to come in that's going to uh, ruffle any feathers, that's going to look different, that's going to be a little rough around the edges, that's going to be a little dirty or nasty, that's going to be an old nasty sinner. Not like us, good church people who's gone our whole life. Sometimes in churches today, we see churches that uh, don't want the sinners to come in. Well, the church is full of sinners. Sometimes we may be like the Pharisees or the scribes and be a little proud, uh, but ultimately we are all sinners saved by grace. So what place do we have to tell some other sinner that they are not welcome? What place do we have to say to say, you're not quite good enough to come here? Now, the Pharisees of Jesus' day would have avoided such sinful people. They would have avoided the people who were sick. They would have avoided the poor and the needy. They don't want to be associated with those people. But Jesus was just the opposite. Jesus didn't run from sinners. Jesus didn't run from anybody. He went everywhere and anywhere that he could to preach the gospel. Sometimes it was in the synagogue. Sometimes it was on the street or on a mountain or wherever it may be that Jesus was that he was preaching. Uh, but he would preach to whoever was there. He would preach to the religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, but they never really got it. They never really got it. They always were too hard-hearted. They always were more worried about trapping Jesus and tricking Jesus and make Jesus look foolish than they were about listening to what he had to say. Of, of, of all the people who would have known what we call the Old Testament, uh, these people knew it the best. They should have known that there was a Messiah that was coming. They should have known the signs to look for that all the prophets of the Old Testament told them about, that, that Moses and all the things that took place in the law foreshadowed Jesus Christ. If anybody should have known it, it should have been those who knew the Bible the best. But they totally missed it. Now we need to understand that too. I encourage you to read the Bible. I want you to know the Bible. But we can see from the scribes and the Pharisees that it's very possible to know God's Word and be able to recite it very well with our mouth and in our mind, but not get it in our heart. So we want to make sure that we understand God's Word in the heart. That we are not just reading words, but that we are really letting them soak in. That we are really letting the Holy Spirit speak into our lives. And the people of Jesus' day, some of these Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees that we see in Scripture, uh, they knew the Word very well in their mind, and with their mouth they could speak it, but in their heart they did not understand it at all. They were blinded. They were living in their religion, and they had missed the Messiah as a result. So Jesus spent a lot of time with the sinners. Because Jesus would have told and did tell in the Scripture the Pharisees that uh, the, the, the well don't need a doctor. That is, those who think that they are doing okay, as the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees did. Why would they seek Jesus for forgiveness? Because they already thought they were doing pretty good. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't need forgiveness. They didn't need the Messiah. But Jesus said, but the sick need a doctor. He's referring to those who realize their sinfulness, who realize their need for repentance. The poor and needy, those who are humble, are the ones who would come to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes were too proud to come to Jesus. So he would seek out those who would humbly come to him. 
In this case, he was eating with the sinners. How dare Jesus eat with a bunch of sinners? How dare Jesus touch and see a bunch of sick people and, 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 and have things to do with them? So the Pharisees and scribes were disappointed. In verse 3, So he told them this parable. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Now what Jesus was saying here is he was concerned about those who were lost. He uses this parable, this illustration, this connection between losing a sheep. Losing a sheep and having a lost soul. Jesus said, if you've got a hundred sheep and you've, you've still got ninety-nine of them, but one of them has wandered off, will you not go after that one sheep? I mean, sure, you could just say, well, 99 out of 100 ain't bad. I'll be okay. You could say that. But Jesus knew that the people would never give up their sheep. Sheep were part of the livelihood. You didn't want to lose any of your livestock, any of your animals. Even in today's culture, if you farm, you don't want to lose something that you've invested time in, that you've spent money on, that you've paid vet bills on, that you've fed continually. You don't just let that animal die. I would assume, I've never farmed or raised animals, but I would assume that would be the case. You would do all you could to make sure that that animal was protected. That nothing would come to try to eat it. That if it got sick, you would care for it. You, you don't want to lose an animal. And Jesus knew that of the people. They wouldn't leave that one sheep behind. And Jesus is making a connection there. He's not talking about being a sheep farmer. What he's talking about is he came to save the lost souls. Now there are, there are some in the world, even as Jesus was going around, who recognized who He was. They didn't all hate Him and reject Him. There was plenty of examples of people that did, but there were plenty of people who believed Jesus and who knew who He was. There were plenty of people who knew the Scriptures and knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of what was prophesied in the Old Testament. There were plenty of people who had put their faith and trust in Jesus, who believed that he's who he said he was and who were following him, who had submitted to him. And he was proud to have those. Jesus was glad that those had recognized and that they were his and that they were following him. But Jesus also knew that there were still sheep to be saved. And then even if there's that one person that did not know Jesus or did not follow Jesus or had not heard the good news that Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to take care of that one person. Now that's good stuff. That's good stuff because I believe that if it would have been any of us, just one of us in this world that was a sinner, I believe that Jesus would have died for us. If, if, if Jesus had uh, 500 million souls that had been saved, but there was one that had not been saved, there was one soul that was lost and doomed to hell, I believe that Jesus would have given His life for that one soul. Jesus gave His life as a ransom for many. Because guess what? All of us are lost. All of us are like that lost sheep that the enemy is trying to come in and destroy. That the wolf is trying to come in and attack. 
We use that language, we talk about Satan. We are all like helpless sheep wandering around in the wilderness. A sheep can't defend itself. A sheep must have a master to keep watch over him, to see that he gets water to drink, to see that he is uh, led by the still waters, to see that he lays down in the green pastures. And the Lord is our shepherd. You can read that in Psalm 23. And so we are all like sheep in a sense that we are, we are, we are hopeless and helpless to defend ourselves against our enemy. That is Satan and that is the sin in our life. So we need a shepherd. We need a good shepherd who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did come for the lost sheep. Not just one of us, but all of us. He comes to keep us safe from the enemy. To keep us from being attacked. To make sure that we are sustained. To make sure that we have all that we need. And Jesus uses this beautiful illustration. This beautiful example. And I can only imagine that as the Pharisees and the scribes heard Jesus speak these words. That they made some of the same connections that we are making today. Now, there were probably some who missed it still. Who didn't get it. But I bet you there were probably some who did get it. Who began to make those connections? Who began to see that Jesus was talking about something much greater than than raising sheep on a farm? And Jesus gives them this illustration and says, "Look, any of you would leave your ninety-nine sheep to go find the one that was lost." Verse five: When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now that's good stuff right there. Isn't that something that the shepherd seeks out? the sheep, and carries the sheep back. Now that's good stuff right there. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ come seeking us out by leaving heaven and coming to earth and giving His life on a cross. He carried the burden of all of our sinfulness on His shoulders. Jesus took all the burden for us. Jesus come where we were. Jesus didn't say, you be better and you can be where I am. Instead, Jesus said, I see you are hopeless and helpless. I see you are under attack. I see you will be destroyed by the enemy. Therefore, I am coming to you and I will take all of the burden and I will bring you home. Now that's good stuff right there. If you don't think that's good stuff, then golly... Read your Bible. Come talk to me. We'll talk about it some more. I could preach all day on it. I won't because I know y'all got stuff to do. But this is good stuff. We have a Savior who would leave a perfect heaven and He would come to a, a sinful old junky world like this. And that He would die for us. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm pretty rotten. I'm a pretty rotten sinner. Like, I'm a pretty bad guy. Like, I, I thoughts come into my mind. Things I've done in my past. Things I do in the present. Things I'll do in the future. Things that I don't want to do. But those temptations are there. That sin's there. The thoughts that run through my mind. And I don't know about your mind. You're probably better than me. But praise the Lord. I can't even understand why Jesus Christ would die for me. Well, yeah, I can. Because the Bible tells us. Because He loves yeah, us. That's right. That's because right. He loves us. That's right. And he knew that we were hopeless and that we were helpless. Now I got good news for you. I don't know if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know what anybody's heart is. But I got news for you. Jesus is seeking you right now. Jesus wants to take your burdens. He wants to take your sins. He wants to forgive you and give you eternal life. 
Jesus came to do that. He came to be the good shepherd. And He wants you to be a sheep that follows Him. Verse 6, And coming home, He calls His friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with Me because I have found My lost sheep. That's excitement right there. You don't think Jesus cares about us? You don't think that Jesus rejoices? You don't, do you think that Jesus is tired of lost souls coming to Him? I bet not. I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus is sitting up there in heaven saying, okay, there's 700 billion people that's come to Me throughout the history of the world. One more. Big whoop. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that Jesus rejoices just as much in a lost soul that accepts uh, the sacrifice that He gave today as He did from the get-go. I believe that Jesus cares so much for every lost soul that is saved. He is rejoicing today and there is rejoicing in heaven today every time a lost soul is saved. Because Jesus genuinely loves and genuinely cares for us. Jesus never gets tired of people coming to Him because that's why He came. Because He wanted people to come to Him. He wants you to come to Him if you have not already. Because He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Boy, we need that, don't we? We need that. We need it physically because we're tired. Because we go here and we go there. And we got stuff to do at home. And we got doctor's appointments. And we got this to do. And we got to do stuff with kids and grandkids. Or we got to do stuff with work. Or whatever it may be. We need rest in that way. We need rest spiritually. Because we are under attack. Our, our, our minds are always wandering. The devil's always trying to get us to, to think negatively about that person or that person. Can you imagine, oh, look at them, look at him, look at her, look at what he's doing or she's doing. Can you believe that? Yes. Boy, the devil's always working in our minds. That's why we need to be in God's Word so that we will focus on what God's Word says so that we can have the mind of Christ, as the text would say. Whatever's on our mind, whatever we, whatever we put into our mind, that's what's going to be on our mind. If we put TV and magazines and gossiping with people and drama and arguing and fussing and fighting and talking and judging, guess what? If that's what's on our mind, if that's, what's, if that's what we spend our time on, that's what's going to be in our mind. And that's what's going to come through our mind and come out of our mouth. But if we put God's Word, if we focus on it, if we, if we read it, if we think about things of God, if we focus on things of God, if we put that into our mind, that's what will be into our mind. And that's what will come from our mouth. And that's what will be in our thoughts. And so we need to uh, seek Jesus constantly in prayer and through the Scripture so that we will find the rest that we need. We need rest spiritually because we are... Uh, constantly dealing with sin. We feel the burden of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the sorrow, the shame that comes from our sin. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Yes. I believe first and foremost, He's speaking spiritually. He's speaking eternally. But I also think that that applies to the here and now. Even physically, that we rest from the things of the world and we put our, 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 our worries on Jesus and boy, we find a certain peace that comes when we finally are able to do that. I say finally because it's a struggle for me. I know the things that I need to give to Jesus, but it's hard for me to really give them to Him. I say, okay, I'm giving this to you, Jesus, but I don't really give it to Him. I'm worried about it and thinking about it and trying to figure out how to fix it. But when we really do, 
when we really do trust Him and really do give Him all of our burdens and worries and fears, boy, there's a certain peace and a certain rest that comes over our spirit. And it affects us spiritually and it affects us physically too. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who didn't need repentance. Now we can take that in a couple of different ways. One is that the 99 people had already come to Jesus Christ. They had already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there is much joy that is had for the one that was lost that has come. These people that he's talking about may have already been believers and followers of him. Or it could mean that the 99 who are righteous are like the Pharisees. That is, they are self-righteous. They're not actually really righteous at all. They think they are righteous. Uh, but they are really not. Uh, they're really not followers of the Lord. So there is joy over the one who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, did the Pharisees and scribes need repentance? Absolutely, they did. But if you would have asked them if they would have needed repentance, they would have probably said, no, I don't need repentance. So perhaps Jesus could be speaking in one of those two ways, or perhaps He could mean both and He wants the hearer to figure out for themselves and determine uh, what side they fall on. We have a decision that we have to make. We don't want to fall into the trap of religion and think that we are righteous on our own. We need to know that that righteousness comes only through Jesus Christ who has come for us, who's given His life for us so that we can be forgiven. That Jesus came and died for us lovingly because He wanted to. That He desires for us to come to Him. That He desires to carry our burdens, our struggles, our fears, our worries. And He desires to bring us home for all of eternity. Jesus came to save sinners. And every one of us in this room was a sinner. If you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you hadn't done it, you need to pray. You need to ask Him to forgive you. You need to ask Him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You this morning. We thank You for these good words. We thank You for how they speak to our, our lives, dear Lord, hopefully to each of our lives and each of our hearts. God, we thank You for, uh, for, for sending Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we could be forgiven. God, help us just to never forget the grace that we've received, that we are sinners saved by grace, and we still sin, dear Lord. We still need that grace and that mercy, so I pray that in Your abundance that You continue to give that to us. But God, maybe there's a lost sheep in this room today. I don't know anybody's heart, dear Lord, but you do. So I pray that if there's one that's never made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, that God, in their heart this morning, they would accept Jesus Christ. God, that this morning, in this moment, God, you already know their heart's already, already saying it. God, even if they haven't uttered any word, God, in their spirit, they've already confessed or made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior if they've accepted Him, God. They know that they're a sinner, God, but maybe there are some that today they don't know what to say or what to do. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, that they would, in their spirit, dear Lord, repeat these words. Dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need forgiveness of my sins. And I know that Jesus Christ is the only forgiveness of sins. God, I believe that Jesus is your one and only Son. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, that His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin so that my sins may be covered. 
God, I know that He was resurrected three days later. And God, I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in Him. I submit everything to Him. I surrender to Him. And I ask for forgiveness of sins. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and be my Savior. God, maybe there's one in this room this morning that prayed that prayer that have just accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would just let that person just approach me uh, later. Just, just come up to me and say, look, I, I did it. I made Jesus my Savior, dear Lord. That they, would, that they would confess that to us today. That they would rejoice in that so that we can rejoice with them, dear Lord. And rejoice with you and all in heaven over this lost soul being saved. And God, so that they can follow through in baptism as your word commands. So God, I pray that if there is one in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ, dear Lord, maybe they hadn't accepted Him yet. Maybe they're, they're struggling. God, just, just let Your Holy Spirit work on them. Just, just burden them in that way. Let them know their need for a Savior. And let them know that that only Savior is Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.